When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Tell It Abs It Is podcast. Your home for everything Colorado Avalanche on the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your hosts, Griffin Youngs and Christian Boulay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Griffin Youngs, joined by Christian Boulay, as always. And Christian, we try to do some little fancy intros every now and again, but is there any point dancing around it? What the fuck just happened? Uh, one of the worst calls in NHL history just happened. That's what happened, Griffin. Um, I, I'm still trying to find a reason why that penalty was called. There has been no it drives me crazy about the NHL. There is no repercussions. They're just trying to sweep it under the rug. Yep, there was um, no there was no statement released or anything. They literally just acted like it didn't happen. It wasn't mentioned in the post game story on NHL.com. They they just act like it didn't happen. Like it was the correct call made by the officials. Like it's for for people who don't know what we're talking about somehow. The Avalanche lost to the Nashville Predators 5-4 to four in overtime last night. Their first loss since coming back from the COVID break. And it was a very good game. You know, the, the Predators started strong. We had to come back three separate times. Not the Avalanche's best game by any metric. But once again, for the sixth straight game, we come back. Game goes to overtime. The Avalanche play very well in the overtime. UC Soros, like he did in regulation, plays very, very well. And then the officials just blow the play dead and give the avalanche a too many men on the ice penalty put the predators on the power play predators win it a few seconds later matt duchene because of course the only problem here is that that simply didn't happen the avalanche did not have too many men on the ice whatsoever no matter what replay you looked at they simply just did not yeah and from what i've heard is it was uh, it was Miko who they thought he changed a little early when Mac was going to get it, but Miko never touched the puck. So by rule, as long as he doesn't play the puck, everything's perfectly legal. 
So I, I don't know what the call was. The only other player in question, was it Nazem Kadri who was hiding behind? Was it Kadri? I can't remember who it was, but it was a truly horrific call. And it's very rare you see everyone on social media agree that it was a truly horrific call. But I thought it was so funny. I don't know if you did this because I'm just a psychopath. I went on to uh, the Preds Twitter page. I did. I did and do just, this. And just read their mentions. And it made me feel good that all of their mentions were, hey, enjoy that gift of a win. Uh, you shouldn't have deserved it. Refs, abs versus refs. Like, it made me feel better. But it's rare you see social media agree on something. Like, wholeheartedly agree on something. It was every abs person who I follow on Twitter was in complete agreement that the abs got gypped. Yeah, and uh, of course you had the the contrary, and you're like, no, that's the right call. And then when they were pressed on it, they had absolutely no answer because it was objectively incorrect and the thing was that made it even worse is that the predators did the exact same thing we did except they had two guys on the ice extra so they not only blew the play dead to call penalty on the abs on a phantom call the nashville predators were doing the same thing except they had an extra guy too yeah but they hadn't touched the puck so that's why they didn't get called but if you're going to call it like it's it was just a bad call. That call never should be made in overtime. Overtime, we've seen calls. I just remembered, remember how Sam Gerard got murdered by Steven Stamkos in Tampa Bay, and that was no call? But this one on a objective call is called. And we're forgetting to mention, too, they had called the abs for too many men on the ice like two minutes before that in the end of regulation. So I don't know what the refs were trying to prove. I don't know what the abs said to the refs last night. Because obviously he had something that was pissing him off about it, but the abs got completely and utterly fucked last night. Yeah, like there's there's no other way to go about go about it. There should have been no penalty on the play on either side because by the rule of the law, the predators weren't doing anything wrong either. It was a sloppy change, and you you just simply don't call that in OT, especially after a whole regulation of letting interference go, tripping, go, Bullies, tripping, yeah, like. like every call under the sun outside of a a few exceptions go and to call that an OT and change the game, change the outcome of the game. Like it's, it's the cardinal sin of a referee. There's the last thing you ever want to do is insert yourself in the game and change the outcome. And that's exactly what they did. I mean, up to that point in overtime, we were in total control outside of a three on one that Devontae's broke up. That was the only chance that Nashville had, and they scored on their first opportunity here. It's frustrating. It's frustrating, and we have to listen to Predators fans think they're good for 10 times longer now. Okay. Because we don't play them again, Griffin, until the end of April. Like, that's that's another thing that pissed me off. It's like not even Predators fans. Like, NHL Network and um, Sportsnet, too, because I was watching the Toronto game afterwards. They're like, in Nashville, they just just keep beating – the best teams good in the teams. NHL, so we got to conclude that they're pretty good too. I heard that same sentence four fucking times. Yeah, they completely ignored the penalty. Completely, yeah. Nashville is better than I thought they would be, and they played very well last night. And you can argue they deserved two points with how they played. Now you see Soros played not like that. They didn't deserve it like that. They're a good team that's going to make the playoffs. I didn't expect that of them. They've surpassed my expectations. But you have to acknowledge what the fuck just happened. You can't just ignore the worst penalty we've ever seen. Because, like, we've come on here and we've complained about refs before multiple times. 
There has never been one where it's like, that is objectively wrong. You got that wrong. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That changed the game and lost us the game. Because we've complained about like calls in the second period that led to goals, but you could argue it didn't lead to a loss. This directly set up a game-winning goal 20 seconds later. Whenever there's a power play in overtime, I, it, I, I don't know the actual stat, but it feels like it's like 85% of the time that penalty doesn't get killed. Because it's four on three. Think how much open ice you have. Unless your goalie's just acrobatic and crazy as shit, you're not going to stop it, man. So I, I don't think this is going to affect the season. If it does come down to one point for the Avs, that's going to be a big-time bummer. But I, I just don't think it will. And I tweeted this out. I have no business being this mad about a regular season hockey game. I shouldn't be. Yeah. I should not be this mad about a game in January. But right, here right. I am, pissed that's off as all because we got fucked. Like yeah. there's no other fans, but and we can go on and on about the NHL just being shitheads because there's no repercussions for this. The refs don't have to face the media. They don't have to do anything. They owe their fans at least an explanation why they right. called. Them. You got you got to come out and be like. This is the right call, and this is why. Break it yeah. down or be like, the refs got it wrong. And throw them under the bus. Like, have the referees go on the podium after the game and tell, tell the media what they saw and why they called that. Like, I don't know why that would help me because I know it pissed me off more, but at least if they had to face the music of their actions, they face no consequences. Right. If they had to face the consequences of their actions in the media, I guarantee officials will start making better calls. Yeah. On a baseline level. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But yeah, that game was the Avs played far from their best game, but they still came back and made it a game. Kale McCarr continues to do Kale McCarr things. Um, McKinnon had a goal. Berkey had a goal. Um, who else? Knack. Knack had another goal. Like the Avs, the Avs did not play their best game. Yeah, we, we can say that. They did not play well. Second half of back to back. And McCarr with get, another nasty one, too. Yeah. McCarr's was beautiful. We, we we could talk about that for 30 minutes, but Kale McCarr is, is fantastic. We'll save that for another episode because he'll probably do that in the next game. Let's be yeah. honest here, Griffin. He probably will. And he's um, he is going to. But also, yeah. we are talking about it a little later because we did bring on our good friend Alex Rajaniemi on Altitude Sports, and we had another really fun conversation with him. It's been a, it's been a while, too. It's been almost three months, actually. It doesn't yep. feel that long. But, yeah, we brought him on once again, and – Asked him about what he thought about Nashville. And he had a good conversation about Darcy Kemper and the Avalanche's goaltending as well, because it's been a, a topic the last couple of days. Christian and I think it's fine. And Raj gave us a, probably the smartest perspective that I've heard. Raj is just so smart in general. Yeah. Like, I don't even mean that as like hyping up our guests. Like, listening to him talk makes me realize how little I actually know. Yeah, you'll you'll hear it in the show. Raj gives these really detailed analytics, and I'm just like, yeah, his uh, his rebound control is not very good. Um, just sounded like a complete hockey dummy, which in the grand scheme of things, I am. But uh, yeah, Raj was awesome. If you don't already, make sure you check him out on Between the Pipes after every Avs game. Um, I know I listen to it after every every game when I'm driving home. Uh, he's fantastic, and we, we just can't thank him enough for coming on the show. Yeah. But I do feel smarter every time after I talk to him. Yeah. Because I just and, regurgitate the stats he gave to me, and then I make them sound like they're my own. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, talking to Raj, I mean, for, for me at least, it's not hard for me to get smarter every time I talk to him because I don't really know what I'm doing in the first place. But we did have Raj on, and it was a, a great conversation, about 50 minutes or so. So I hope you guys enjoy the interview, and we will do a quick, quick little wrap-up once that interview wraps and talk to you guys in just a second. All right, we are joined once again by Alex Rajaniemi, otherwise known as Raj. Raj, how's it going, my friends? Great to have you back once again. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm I'm happy to be back, and it's been a, a minute since I've talked to you guys, but we're right around the halfway point of the season. It's a good little time to check in, especially after the Avs have been kind of red hot um, and are, are powering up the standings despite the loss to, to Nashville a couple of days ago, but um i'm pretty happy with where they're at and, and thanks for having me yeah no problem and you you bring up the nashville loss and you know christian and i haven't really had an opportunity to talk about it yet and i feel like there's no point dancing around the subject was that the worst call you've ever seen last night against the predators i mean it was it, it was the worst call i've seen and i joked around on uh, on altitude today about saying how like i i watch 14 year olds play hockey 6 out of the 7 days of the week and they're refed by 16 and 17 year old kids who don't know necessarily what they're doing and sometimes you get great referees but sometimes you get terrible ones and i said uh, across the NHL landscape and across the youth landscape that I, I cover and watch and help out. And it, it is one of the poorer calls I've ever seen. Um, there's mistakes that happen in refereeing. That one I think could have been fixed with a quick conference. Uh, I talked with Dave Jackson, who's, uh, who's the guy on ESPN. He's a former referee, makes his home here in Colorado. And um, I'm lucky enough to skate with him every, you know, every week when I go out to my, um, my beer league skates. and. I spoke with him regarding the call and he told me that technically it can be deemed as too many men, but referees let that go all the time. They let that type of line change go 70 times a game and for them to not call it once, but twice. And the regulation call against the abs was warranted. It was too many men. That's fine. Um, but to call it twice within a two and a half minute span is a little ridiculous, especially when it was a phantom call and you were just hoping that you made the right call. Uh, you can fix that by talking to your linesman uh, and the NHL can fix that by allowing plays like that to be reviewable. For me, um, every every call in the game is judgment based, but certain ones like too many men, uh, like delay a game, flipping pucks over the glass when you don't necessarily know if it hit a stick or not. Those are really easy calls. Just hop into the booth, throw on a headset, ask Toronto what they saw, and make the right call. It's not going to extend the game. It's not a lengthy goal review. All it is is a call to Toronto, what they saw goes, and you keep going with the hockey game. And unfortunately, we can't say it for sure, but it probably cost the Avs a point in one of their best comebacks that they've had all year. Yeah, I, I think – my frustration with it, and I agree with you, they just need to be able to review it. Like the NBA in the final two minutes of fourth quarters, they review almost every call. Why right. can we not do the same thing in hockey on a play that's very, very questionable? And um, it looks like it hits the linesman. I saw Rycroft and uh, Kiefer talking about it. It looks like it hits the linesman. And why the linesman didn't go over, it, it just makes no sense. Um, I, I think if you can review it, it would just take all – questions out of the game in like the final two minutes of an NHL game. Yeah. And, and what Dave said about it uh, when I had my brief conversation with him was uh, they were concerned about the change between Rantanen and McKinnon. And they said that uh, Miko jumped on when Nate was 10 to 15 feet uh, away from the board. 
And again, that happens all the time. What Rantanen did there is he didn't play the puck until Nate was very clearly off the ice. And that's what you're taught to do uh, from the time you're 10 years old and you're, you're jumping boards uh, on the fly like that. And uh, again, he waited to make the play. Nashville makes a wholesale change. They had just as sloppy of a change as the as, abs did, if not more. Uh, and it would have cost Nashville the game. Valerian Chushkin's wide open on a breakaway going the opposite direction if that play happens to go along. And even if it doesn't, and you just have to blow the play dead and have it, uh, a face-off at center ice, you at least get to be entertained with more three-on-three hockey. You're not deciding the game with a call. Uh, effectively, a four-on-three ends, ends every game in overtime. And it's a shame. It really is a shame. I, I made jokes that none of this would happen had Matt Duchesne ever – uh, set foot in the National Hockey League because this goes back to 2013 when he was 15 feet offside as a member of the Avs playing, guess who, the Nashville Predators. And then he scores after being 15 feet offside. And what happens after that? We open up the Pandora's box of coaches' challenges and offsides. And who's the team that gets bit by it first? The Avs against San Jose in 2017. So again, Matt Duchesne, 2013, Matt Duchesne ends the game in overtime. It's, it's all Dutchie's fault, guys. Yeah, I'm cool to blame him for everything. <laughs> that's that's totally fine. That seems like a perfectly good answer there. So um, my, my other big thing that I've kind of noticed, me and Griffin have talked about on the show, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it. What, what's going on with the Avs penalty kill? What's going on with it? Like, it's oh. it has not been good since the return from their COVID break. And, I, like, it, it looks like Darren Helms out of position. It looks like Eric Johnson's going out of position. What are, what are your thoughts on going on with – What's going on with the PK right now? Um, it, it hasn't been good all season. Uh, even coming before the break, it has not been good. They've struggled the entire year. And uh, being at 72% on the kill is unacceptable for a team that's going to push for a, a cup. You can't live uh, in the National Hockey League only killing 70% of your penalties. And that's what they're trending towards right now. Uh, where they struggle severely is on the faceoff dot. That's not a... Uh, a, a mystery to anyone. They've struggled for years on the dot. Nazem Kadri's having a rough year on the face-off circle. Um, he's not having a rough year outside of the face-off circle as he's going to you know, push towards 100 points in a, in a contract year. But they don't have anyone that you can rely on to win a draw. Tyson Jost is your number one penalty killer right now, and he's your centerman, and he lost all but one PK draw yesterday against the Predators. I'd, I'd like to go back and see what he did uh, on the shorthanded opportunity in recent games, but I can tell you it's not going to be very good. Um, they do a decent job of clearing pucks when they have possession. What they don't do a decent job of is, is clogging up the neutral zone. And that's what the power play struggles with is gaining zone entry. And it, it's seemingly way too easy for their opponents to just gain the blue line. Uh, something has to be changed. Ray Bennett uh, has to figure out what's going on, the power play and the PK in terms of their structure. Uh, the power play is coming back and it was always going to come back with that much firepower on the first and certainly second unit. Um, but they said that the major changes were coming to the, the penalty kill. There really weren't that many changes in terms any. of personnel. Um, you saw a couple of lineup changes. Sure. You put the Johnsons together, you switched to Chushkin to come up and play with Jost a few times, but it, it was kind of the same cast of guys. We heard monumental changes coming on the PK in terms of personnel. Monumental means trying guys like McKinnon and Landeskog out there. Monumental doesn't mean changing your rotations. That's it's just, it's just not working right now. Yeah. It, it's definitely 
the face-off circle, I think it was the Toronto game. Toronto won like 68% of face-offs, I think. It, it, it was it was truly pointless to do face-offs because Toronto yeah, was winning every face-off. Yeah, but, Tavares and Matthews were on fire that game. Yeah. It, it's I know Griffin and I have talked about, but it's so weird because last year the PK was so good and you lose Belmar, you lose Calvert. You don't expect the PK to fall off the face of the earth like it has, but it's it's been the one sore spot, I think, of a very – good start to the season yeah it's gonna end up hurting them um in the playoffs especially when those power play numbers dwindle for each team you have to find a way to put one in a night and if the abs are letting in two in a night on the power play on three opportunities you're gonna have a hard time winning games like i know that they score more than any other team in the league but uh, every time they go on the kill something is bound to go wrong they, they had their best kill of the year best kill of the year against toronto where they ragged the puck for 90 yep. seconds and they held onto the puck and ragged it and ragged it and ragged it. And then finally they send the puck down. Toronto makes an 80 foot pass from blue line to blue line game zone entry. And then Simmons goes back door uh, without really ever looking And the back door isn't covered by not only uh, the weak side defenseman, but the weak side high forward doesn't drop down to, to cover the slot. And again, the best kill of the year ends up in your back, in the back of your net. It doesn't help that Darcy Kemper, hasn't been able to make a clutch save the entire season. But again, something needs to change. And I think it's personnel right now. And if it's not personnel, you need to, you need to completely change up how you kill, uh, kill teams. You just have to go crazy aggressive or you have to shrink it in and hope you block shots. And the abs aren't great at blocking shots. Yeah. And you bring up a very good point with the like shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic right now is this structurally the penalty kill has not worked, but you bring up uh, an interesting point there right at the very end. And this is something that Christian and I have been talking about for quite a bit, especially the last couple of days. And that is Darcy Kemper. And there's a certain debate right now that a lot of people feel like the avalanche need to make a move for another goalie that Darcy Kemper hasn't been great. Where do you stand with Darcy Kemper right now? Do you feel like he hasn't been enough, but can be better? Or is there something else that we need to do here? Certainly hasn't been enough the this far. He hasn't been worth the first round pick that you had to give up for him after Grubauer jetted for Seattle. And Grubauer hasn't been worth the contract that he earned in Seattle. Uh, it's been a dumpster fire there for the Kraken. And I mean, if you understand what expansion franchises are like, you kind of had to expect that that was going to happen to a team. Um, the anomaly was Vegas, not the, uh, not the rule. It, it was certainly the exception for Vegas to be as good as they were. Um, Kemper has the ability to be a good enough goaltender for the abs to win. And I've said it, I've said it all year. He doesn't necessarily need to be world championship team Canada, Darcy Kemper. He doesn't necessarily need to be Arizona in the bubble, Darcy Kemper. He just needs to be above average. And right now he's barely below league average in terms of his save percentage, his goals against average, where he's getting killed is the fact that he's not making saves that he's expected to make. And Sure. I, I was talking on the show about UC Soros and how regardless of him letting up four goals, he was an all world level goaltender against the abs the other night. And I thought Jack Campbell was the same, despite giving up the same amount of goals a couple of nights previous. Um, they're making saves that you don't expect them to. They're making the diving across the crease save as Nazem Kadri has his hands on top of his head on Devon Taves. Uh, as as we pay respect to that Toronto game, UC Soros is making right to left pad saves on cross crease opportunities look uh, look easy and, and and look like he's doing routine movements there and he's not. Um, 
Kemper's making some of those saves. He's top 20 in the league right now for goaltenders who have played a minimum of 300 minutes, which is largely every goalie in the league that isn't a backup or a third stringer. Um, so he's top 20 in high danger goals saved above average. That's pretty good. That's I, I'd call that above league average where he's really struggling this year. And, and these are stats that I'll get from, uh, from natural stat trick is that he's ninth worst in the league in low danger saves made or uh, above average. So what that is essentially is the war statistic for baseball for goalies in the NHL. That's saying, here's our league, our league average. And where do you fall plus or minus? And right now he's one of the worst goaltenders in the league and saving pucks that are classified as low danger opportunities that can't happen. That's what gives teams breaks. That's what gives teams in the playoffs. When, when you can have a goaltender stand on his head and make 40 saves on 42 opportunities, that's what has teams walk away with three, two victories. And you're left scratching your head because you're on a golf course on Monday and teams like Vegas or Montreal are moving on to the cup for the conference finals and cup finals. Um, he just needs to be better than average. He can do it. He's the goal. To, he's, he's good enough to get it done. If he doesn't turn it around by the time late February happens, you have to, you have to address it. And that means going out and paying a higher price than you would want to, to go out and get pretty much one goaltender and it's Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah. Then Christian and I have talked about the possibilities of another goalie, we landed on nobody but Mark Andre Fleury because who else is even available at this point? No one. And, and again, I, I don't know if the Avs can go out and and even get him. Like they don't necessarily have the capital to go out and get him. You can make the salary work with retention. He's a UFA. Um, by the time the cap rolls around or the the trade deadline rolls around, his actual cap hit will not be as high as it is. So everyone's worried about the big seven million dollar contract. You don't have to pay the $7 million. You have to pay what's remaining on the contract. It'll be like 2.8 or something like that. If you offload the Kemper contract and a trade for him, then it doesn't even matter. What Joe would want to do is keep both of those netminders. He would want to keep Flurry and Kemper. You would expose a guy like Francois to waivers, unfortunately, although I'd love to have Pavel's played uh, in his return from injury and return from COVID protocol. But a tandem of Kemper and Flurry is pretty tough to beat you would just have to give up a whole bunch and you don't have a first round draft pick this year to give up. You have a first round next year, but the, the bidding war for flurry is going to be big. There's going to be teams out there, right? Every team that doesn't have an entrenched number one goalie is going to, is going to knock on Chicago's door. So teams with multiple first round picks with deep prospects pools are going to be at the top of the list. Chicago's not in the business of making, making anyone a deal that's going to sweeten the abs just because they're it's Joe Sackick and the abs. They're going to go get the best deal they possibly can, regardless of who they send flower to, because he's a pending UFA. Yeah, well, and it's, it's, um, it's not Stan Bowman making those decisions anymore. So right. um, it, you hope it's going to be a little bit more competent, but th- that's my, my fear with Kemper. And it's not even really a fear. It, it, this is my dumb hockey brain because I, I don't play hockey. I never played hockey. I just love watching it. His rebound control just doesn't seem to be nearly as good as Grubauer's or Francois's. Um, he gives up a crap ton of rebounds, it seems. Like. I don't know if there's a stat for that, but personally, I, I just think his rebound control, thats it, it scares me every time a puck hits him. Yeah, and yeah, the, I, 
if we go back to the Nashville game, even last night, sorry to cut you off there, Raj, but even just the, like you were saying with low danger opportunities, just a simple puck floats and he drops it from his glove and has to cover it. Even simple stuff like that has given me personally, a lot of heart attacks, simple floating shots from the points, just go right off his pad, sometimes right to the stick of another guy. That's what Christian said. His rebound control has been noticeably the worst part. Yeah, he's he's had a, a rough go on the rebounds. I'd have to take a look at game film and, and really chart the rebound opportunities if um, if that's the way that we'd want to assess Kemper. But I, I think the easy way to say it is that he has not been as advertised. I, I believe he can be, right? Everyone's talking about how he's like 12-2-1 going back to November 1st or something like that. He's been one of the hottest goaltenders in terms of wins, and you should be okay with it the underlying numbers tell you that he's rebounded to be an average goalie. And I've said this time in and time out about the NHL right now, this is not the national hockey league of the nineties or two thousands where you have a glut of hall of fame level goaltenders. It's you don't have uh, Marty Turco, Dominic Hoshik, Patrick Watt, Martin Brodeur, Roberto Luongo, Eddie Belfort, Curtis Joseph, all playing at the same time at the top of their games. You don't have that. It's not what exists in the National Hockey League right now. You have Andre Vasilevsky and then everybody else. And everybody else is decent goalies. I would put UC Soros there um, as trending towards elite. I would put Igor Shesterkin in New York as trending towards elite. And then everyone else is a pretty good NHL goalie, if not um, below average. So everyone's saying like, oh, how could you not go out and get a goaltender? They don't exist. They're like quarterbacks in the NFL. If you get one, you don't let one go. So I don't know what you expected Sackick to do. What he did do was realize that goalies don't grow on trees. We don't have one in the pipeline. We're not going to be able to sign one or trade one at, at an elite Patrick Law type of level. So I need to put the best team around Kemper that I can. And that means score, 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 and have the best defensive core in the league. So that's why I say you can win with the team as currently constructed today, including the netminders, if they're just average. They don't have to be great. Hey, everybody. Hope you've been enjoying this episode so far, interrupting to bring you a word from our brand new sponsors at Manscaped. The ball has officially dropped, but that does not mean you have to drop the ball on your balls. It's time you bring sexy back in 2022 and step your game up with Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped to help them ring in the new year with the right tools for the job. Go to manscaped.com and use code AVSITIS for 20% off plus free shipping. Griffin, it's almost 2022. It's time to ramp up your exercise and grooming routine this year for maximum gains. You know, and what better way to do that than with Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0, containing six essential tools for the ultimate below-the-waist grooming routine. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin and also comes equipped with advanced skin-safe technology to reduce cuts and nicks on your delicate nuts. We've all had our horror stories in the past, but Manscaped takes those possibilities away for you, so you've got nothing to worry about. And best of all, it also comes equipped with a 4,000K LED spotlight that will shine a light to the promised land 2022 is going to be. And Griffin, it's also time to freshen up down there for the new year. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. It's fantastic. 
And for on-the-go freshness after you leave the gym, you'll love the Crop Reviver Ball Toner Spray. Yeah, and Manscaped even threw in the Shed Travel Bag to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. And speaking of comfort, the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs are also included and will bring your boys down south to the next level. And Griffin, we can't forget about this. Manscaped also wants to go beyond the groin this year with their new refined cologne, which offers a light yet masculine, pleasing fragrance. It is fantastic, guys. I love it. Yep. Manscaped, ever since they sent me this package, has changed the way I shave. And I'm not kidding at all when I said I thought I was happy with my old razor. The performance package 4.0 has just made me feel a lot better. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code abs. It is at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with code abs. It is have no regrets this year with our friends at manscaped. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree with that. I mean, like you said, league average goaltending would take this team to the Stanley cup final at yeah. minimum. And Oh yeah. I also wanted to bring up Pavel Francouz, who you brought up a little bit earlier. Would his return and him starting to get more and more game action take some pressure off of Darcy Kemper? And can we expect Francouz to, to get better as he gets more into a routine? You might put some more pressure on him, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, Darcy's never had, at least since he became a starter in Arizona, I, I wouldn't say that back to his days in Minnesota because no one really knew who he was. He was still a backup, kind of making his name. As soon as he got to Arizona, he was the number one, and there wasn't anyone pressuring him. He wasn't wasn't in uh, in danger of losing his job because the Coyotes were in a position to really press their goalie um, into that level of play, right? He was the guy, and he hasn't been pushed as the guy yet because Francois hasn't been healthy. If, if Francois continues to play the way that he does, I, I think that he can be a Grubauer to Holtby type of guy where he pushes the team and he maybe he even takes the reins of starter as the season goes on for um, a, a handful of games or a handful of weeks, maybe even a couple of months, he turns into this like 1A. And I wouldn't be surprised if Kemper wrestles it back and then you get as advertised Darcy Kemper. I think it puts pressure on Darcy, but in a good in a good fashion. If Francois can stay healthy, he's the best backup in the league, hands down. Um, but he needs to be able to stay healthy. And I know he got ran uh, a couple of nights ago, right? And uh, that's always something that you're holding your breath on with Francois with his lower body injuries. But uh, if he can, if he can come in, I have no problem. I don't have any allegiances towards the goalies. I want the best guy, the hottest guy, to be in the pipes. Yeah, and I think we've seen both of them flash. I mean, Darcy Kemper against the Jets was fantastic. He, yeah, he as advertised. Good. He was as advertised, but it's the consistency that he needs to keep going. Um, the Toronto game was definitely an anomaly. That was just a bad performance that the Avs put on in front of him to start. But then Frankie came in and he was fantastic the rest of the mm -hmm. game with the same everything. Um, I do feel confident about this goaltending duo. I, I agree with you guys. I just don't think there's anyone out there. Like I saw an article today that was saying, like, go get Linus Allmark from Boston. He has no playoff experience. Like, wh who, what are we going to do with that? Like, I, I just don't know. Um, I, I don't know if there's anything out there. You just got to stick with what you have right now. I've heard a couple of names out there. I've heard Allmark. I've heard heard uh Jonas Corpusalo who I love I, I like Corpusalo as much as I did UC Soros like five years ago when he was coming up underneath um fellow countryman Pecorine who's now out of the league and maybe a Hall of Famer Pecorine who knows never quite got it done in the playoffs he did get a team to the final but um I don't know he's he's he might be Hall of very 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 good and not Hall of Fame 
Um, I feel the same way about Corpus Allo as I did about Soros a few years ago. I think he can get it done. He might be a guy to look at in the future as like a future number one goalie for the abs. If you have to go out and get him um, after this season or, or, or the next season, but they're not my guys to trade for right now. They're not going to be the guys that push you over the top to win a cup. They're, again, there's one guy that can do that and he plays for Chicago right now. Yeah. There's one guy and I've Corpus Allo is one of those guys too. Tr- Columbus is going to ask a leg and a half for him. He, yeah, as they should. They're, they're going to get a very good price tag for him. Um, but it's flurry or nothing. And I, I agree with Griffin. I think it's going to be Edmonton that sells the farm for him. I, I really And they do. have to. They yeah. Flurry, flurry plugs so many holes in Edmonton. I know they're talking about a Vander Kane right now. But again, I think they're just trying to throw anything at the wall and see if it sticks because they're in danger of having a couple of guys combine for like, you know, 250 points and miss the playoffs. And that's ridiculous in and of itself. Um, a number one netminder fixes a lot of things, but they also have to uh, keep in, in mind that Marc-Andre Fleury submitted a 10-team no-trade list at the beginning of the season. Who's to say Edmonton's not on that list? Edmonton's not a fun place to play. It's not a great place to be in the middle of the winter either. And we know that Fleury didn't even want to be in Chicago. Um, he's got a few places where he wants to play. Pittsburgh being at the very top of that list. In Vegas at probably number two. I don't know if Edmonton's on there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they aren't. I mean, he was hemming and hawing about even going to Chicago. Like he's 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 totally okay just being like, okay, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Like, he's totally cool with that. But I just I, I'm interested to see. I still have faith in Darcy Kemper because he's shown the flashes. And I think, like you said, with the pressure that Francois will eventually put on him if Frankie can stay healthy. That's going to help the team. I think Griffin, just like you said, with Grubauer and Holtby, it, it pushed Holtby to win a Stanley Cup for the Capitals, mm-hmm. having Grubauer. Because Grubauer started that playoff run for him, right? Yeah, he started both of them. Holtby struggled for most of that regular season. Grubauer was able to come in and carry that team to the top spot in the Metro. Then Grubauer struggled first two games. Holtby comes in and sweeps the rest of the way. And if you can get that same thing here with Francois pushing Darcy Kemper to be a little better because his job's not secure in what's a very important contract year for him, then you can really start to get back to that, even just league average goaltending, which can take a team that's been outstanding over the last month and a half, even further. Spoke with, um, with Eric Lacroix today, who uh, was in the Calgary front office for a number of years and uh, was saying a few things about how, when they were looking for a netminder. Uh, back in 2017, 18, 19, Kemper was their number one guy on their list. And the only reason why they couldn't get him is because he was under contract and they would have had to have given up assets in order to acquire Darcy. So they ended up having to settle on a guy, Jacob Markstrom, who's having a resurgent year and is the reason why Calgary's in a playoff spot right now. But Lacroix said his entire front office, their number one guy to go get was Kemper. He, he can get it done, guys. He just needs to, uh, to figure it out. I, I would tell Avs fans to... Uh, pump the brakes, relax. You're fine. The team still has the best winning percentage in the Western Conference, and um, they're still the odds-on favorite to win the Cup for a reason. Vegas knows things that we don't. There's a reason why they're valued that high. Um, it's just a matter of time before they get it done. It's it, it's fun, but that's been the fun part. This team's scoring five, six goals a game. You're going to win a lot yeah, of games. Yeah, Scoring that many goals. Um, you talked about Nazem Kadri a little bit going on a hundred point pace. To me, my favorite player this year has been Valeri Nachushkin because no one expected him to be as important to the avalanche as he is. 
Um, from what you've heard, do you think that because Berkey, Val, and Kadri are all free agents after this year, you can't re-sign all of them. Who do you think they re-sign out of that three? And I think Val's made it a lot tougher decision because at the beginning of the year, it was going to probably be Berkey and Kadri. But now the um, way Val's playing, I don't know what they do. I, I love Val Nachushkin. He's not going to command $5 million. Um, He'll probably be a guy who makes like three and a half or four at the very, very most. He's vital to this team's success. He's the best penalty killer that they have. Um, he's the best 200 foot forward that they have in terms of his defensive play and his ability to, to contribute on the offensive side of the puck. Um, Burakovsky's the youngest guy. He's the flashiest guy. I think the last time I talked with you, I said that I wouldn't be shocked if he scores 40 goals this season, which he's not going to, he's on pace to hit like 35 or something like that, or 34, which I mean, he'd have to, he'd have to kind of turn it up in the back half to hit that number. I yeah. think he's probably going to sit somewhere between like 28 and 32 this year. Um, He's the youngest guy, but there's one equalizer. And that's the fact that Nazem Kadri is a center. And outside of the goaltending position, there's no more important spot in hockey than a, a true center in this league. That's the reason why they make more money. It's the reason why number three centers get paid uh, between three and a half and five million dollars in this league. Like just look at Dar or at JT Confer's contract. Uh, I would say that they will go out of their way to keep Nazem Kadri in the fold, despite being 32 by the time that the season rolls around, you have to have a number two center in the league, despite his, his struggles this year in the faceoff dot, he's scoring at a pace that he's never done in his career. He's still very good as a faceoff man. He's still probably top 20 uh, in the league. If you were to pull GMs and, and coaches uh, around the, um, the national hockey league, Kadri is going to be in that top 20 in terms of faceoff takers uh, at, at the pro level. He's the guy. You have to be able to get him back in the fold. I don't know what he's going to cost, but you'll probably have to offload Burakovsky. And um, I, I suppose I'm okay with doing that. I really like him as an offensive player. He scares the living hell out of me in the D zone. Um, yep. Oh yeah. yeah he's, a, he's a he's a defensive zone liability. But the, the ABS in in general, when they're not playing good hockey, are defensive zone liabilities. Uh, kind of up and down their forward unit when they're not playing at the top of their game. Well, when they're playing at the top of the game, they just possess the puck and they're not playing in the D zone. So it doesn't really matter. But if you had to tell me to choose between one of the three, it's Kadri. Fair. Yeah. I agree with you. I don't think Val's going to command that much money, but I, for one, did not expect him to be this important to this team. Like he's, he's been good since he's been here. He's playing at a top six forward level right now and it's not even close. And it's noticeable when he's not with the team. It's yeah. noticeable. Yeah, so, he's, he's impressive. I, I love how he how he drives to the net. I love him on the kill. I love his um, his ability to play pretty much any spot in the lineup. He he slotted it on the top unit uh, for the majority of the Nashville game. He was out there on the three on three prior to the uh, the too many men getting called, and he would have had a breakaway that could have ended the game against Soros had that call not been made in Nashville. Um, but he can kill, he can play in your second power play unit. He can play top six. He can play bottom six. He's a Swiss army knife. I don't think you're going to have a hard time keeping him here. Um, if someone wows him with a contract offer, I wouldn't put it past a Russian player to go and take the money. But yeah. um, I, I think Sackick finds a way to keep both Kadri and Nachushkin in the fold. Sorry, Griffin, about Berkey, man. That's I've come to terms <laughs> with that a lot. I've already, I already dealt with that once. I got very lucky that he came to the Colorado from Washington for me, but 
I, I totally agree with you, Raj. I think if you have to pick two out of the three, it, it has to be Val and Kadri because with Alex Newhook already coming up the way he is, Burakovsky, I feel like, is the one that's easiest to replace. Not, not necessarily easy to do, but easiest. Because right. Kadri, like you said, natural center. Val Nachushkin, far and away the best 200-foot player on this team. Berkey, if he finds more consistency – that'd be a lot harder to replace with his offensive right. ability, but his entire career has just been a roller coaster and he's going to demand more than Val value wise. I, I don't really think it's even a, a really even a debate. Goal scorers don't come across all that often in the league. Like you get paid. If you score 30 goals, just look at, look at Jeff Skinner and Buffalo. Yeah. You get yeah, paid you when get you put money. the puck in the back of the net. You yeah. get paid big time. Um, my next thing I was going to ask about and it's a little bit of a sad story. I'm sure you saw the story about Bo and yeah. what's going on with him. Um, Griffin and I have talked about it. This team is set up where he can take that time off. But are, are you – I know I'm officially concerned about it because I just don't know what's going to happen in the long term with him. We've seen it with Sidney Crosby. He was able to come back. But then we've also seen it with Wojtek Wojcicki. He, he never came back. Right. And same with Joey Hishin. So – What's your level of concern with it right now? Joey Hishin. I never thought I'd hear that name again. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> I was reading about him in an article. That's why, because I was reading about Bo today. So I saw his name pop up again. Volsky uh, went on to play in Europe for a, a number of years. So I, I wouldn't say that his career ended. His National Hockey League career did end. But um, he played it for a number of years in, in Europe. I don't know. If, is he still playing in Europe? He, might he be. may be. He may be, honestly. Um, he might be somewhere in the K or like in an Austrian league. Yeah. He's kind of still making making a contract. But um, I, I am officially nervous. That's It, it takes a, a big step for him to tell the organization that I can't do this right now. I'm not in a good spot. Um, it tells you how far the players in this league have come in terms of their understanding of traumatic head injuries. And it's something that the league still needs to continue to make strides on in terms of helping their players and um, admitting to a direct link between concussions and uh, and CTE, which is something that that Bet or uh, Bettman hasn't done yet uh, with the stamp of the the NHL's approval. I, I'm happy that Bo did it. Uh, I, they need to place him on LTIR and not have a timetable for his return. It just needs to be leave, go get yourself right. And whenever the heck you're ready and, and able to be back, we'll put you through a training program and a conditioning stint. And we'll see if you can slot into the lineup. He's an excellent player. He is dynamic. He's two way. He's a great offensive mind. He throws the body. He's young. He's only 20 years old. He's had three concussions in the last 18 months. Um, brains don't stop developing until you're in your mid to late twenties. Like this is still a kid's brain that is developing and still has plenty of elasticity uh, left to go he needs to step away and i just don't want to see it go the way of and this is funny i'm going to pull two hall of famers out of here i don't want to see it go the way of eric lindros and paul korea um where their careers were cut short or they were not the players where anyone expected them to be regardless of being hall of famers with Byram, if he's going to be out, I think that the abs have to find a way to shore up your middle two defensemen on the team. Uh, I don't know if they really believe in Ryan Murray right now. Uh, Curtis McDermott has found his place in the lineup every single day. Props to him. That's something that I never saw coming, but he's not going to be a middle four 
or, or middle pairing defenseman on this team moving into the playoffs, he, he has a spot on the roster for sure. The team loves him and he's doing his job um, exceptionally well, again, to a, a point that I never saw coming from. He's um, going to score, Raj, and I'm going to lose my shit. I, I know. I, I thought it's I almost wait. happened like five out of the last yep. six games where he's it, had really good opportunities. He's going to score, and I'm going to take every inch of my being to not cheer in the press box yep. and to make sure that I'm paying attention to the abs bench when it happens rather than looking at McDermott. Because as I'm, soon as it happens, I need to see the reactor from the bench because the guys love it. Yeah. And I'm going to be right there. He's I'm going to yeah, lose it right there. It's going to be a John Scott type of thing, and he will score. It's going to happen this year. He's playing too well. Yeah. And it's going to happen um, in the playoffs too. I'll go that far. Oh, that'd be amazing. Um, <laughs> in terms of in terms of figuring out the next step after Byram, uh, they're going to have to find a, a middle pairing defenseman. You're going to have to do that via trade. Uh, I have one guy in mind, and he played in the Cup final last year for Montreal. He's a UFA who makes eight hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars a year, and that's Ben Sherat. And he wears an A for Montreal. He was a top pairing defenseman for Montreal with Shea Weber when they beat Vegas in the playoffs last year. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't expect Montreal to give him up for nothing, but I think he's a guy who would go back to Montreal despite being traded for a cup run. And if that's the case, I think the Avs can get him for a couple of mid-round picks and maybe a prospect. And the, he's a guy that a big body, a mean physical style defenseman that this team needs in the playoffs. And if there's a spot opened up by Byram's absence, he's a guy you have to go out and get. And I would say if it comes down to getting a goalie or coming comes down to getting Sherratt, I would say go get Sherratt ahead of the goaltender. I would agree with that too. And the, the one thing I've heard about Sherratt from Elliot Freeman and Pierre Lebrun all season is that the asking price is going to be a first round pick, which surprised me. And I, I don't know how Montreal is going to ask for that, but uh, if, it, if it's going to be a bidding war for Sherratt, much like Marc-Andre Fleury, I think it's going to be tough for us to, to come out of that unless we offer up next year's first, which for Montreal I don't think does them much good in a draft that's in Montreal this year. But I would certainly love Ben Sherratt. I think he would be a, a perfect addition and a good replacement for Byram to help him get healthy. But Christian, what do you think? I, I think Sherratt would be a great fit, but I, I think the asking price just may be too high. Yeah. Like, and, and we know Sackick's not going to move any, he's not going to move a new hook. He's not going to move a sample Ranta. He's not going to move a Justin Barron. I, I, I don't know if that's going to move the needle enough for Montreal, but I, I think Sherratt would fit in perfect with this team. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to see if he fits in um, as a, a middle pairing guy where you can just kind of let Kale McCarr and Devon Taves go and do their thing. It would be, it would be ideal. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Because this team, who knows, maybe Sackett's going to change his mentality because he realized this window is only open for so long. Right. He, he may change his mentality, but until I see it, I don't know. I find it hard to think he's going to move on from his youth. Yeah, I would agree with that too. But Raj, you brought you brought up a guy that I wanted to to wrap up on here, and that is the, the story of the avalanche this season, Kale McCarr, and just how exceptional he's been and already on the verge of breaking records on the avalanche and for defensemen as a whole throughout league history, only about 33 games into the season. How many goals do you think Kale McCarr can score by the end of this season? 30, maybe 27. If he keeps his pace, he can score 30. He needs to score more power play goals to do so. Um, but the abs get a bunch of power play opportunities. So it's out there. I, I think 30 is, 
is something that's feasible this year. We haven't seen a 30 goal score from the blue line since Mike green in 2008 with Washington. Um, the record is 48 with Paul coffee in the eighties with Edmonton, which most likely will never be touched by a D man um, ever again with the way that the league is, is going right now, but I could see kale scoring 30, 35 in a season. Um, this year it might be able to, might be able to get done. He has to stay healthy. He can't miss games on COVID protocol in order to get there. I say he finishes at, oh, he's so damn good right now. Um, <laughs> he could get to 25 by like next week. Pace. Give me 30, give me 32. I don't think, I don't think he ties green. I think they get there and somehow he squeaks it by. I'll give him 32. And if he gets 32, he wins the Norris and will be in the conversation for the hard trophy. Yeah, I, I agree. He Griffin and I could gush about him and Devon Taves for hours because they yeah. are, yeah, they're the best defensive pair in the NHL, and I don't even think it's really that close. No, it's not. Uh, Taves is a defenseman's defenseman, and that's funny to say because he's leading the league in points per game played from yeah. the blue line. Um, he shut down a three-on-one against Nashville uh, after McKinnon got stripped of the puck in the three-on-three overtime. And he's the only guy that you want to have back there. And Peter McNabb said it on the broad, the, the broadcast that he's, he's your defensive. If you want to have some guy in a three on one, it's Devon Taves because he can not only pick a puck off and stop the scoring opportunity, he can turn it around the other way uh, and turn it into a, a counter opportunity uh, for his team. He's really good. Um, I, I think Kale McCarr is the second best player in the world. And that's amazing to say because he plays in the same team as who I now think is the third best player in the world in Nathan McKinnon. It's not taking anything away from Nate. Nate's having a great year. Nate's leading the league in points per game played. He should get heart trophy consideration based on the way that he's playing uh, as a 200 foot forward. And as a facilitator on this team, obviously he's not scoring at the clip that we're used to, but he's, he's dishing pucks left and right. I think McCarr is the second best player in the world behind Connor McDavid. I love, I, would, that. I love that. I love that. I would totally agree with that. He's amazing. Him. He's a freak. He's an absolute mutant. Yeah, I, th- I think people are starting to wake up to that fact, too, because right now we're in kind of a, a transition of people realizing that Makar is not purely an offensive defenseman, is actually very good defensively as well, because I've seen the comments recently, and it's kind of started after he embarrassed Kirby Doc on national television, that like, oh, well, he's a, a forward playing defense, which is simply untrue. So I think by probably this time next year, people will acknowledge Makar as not just one of the best defensemen, but a top five player in the world. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to win multiple Norris trophies in his career. He might win multiple back to back. Um, He's, he's that good right now. Uh, And and I don't think the league has seen a defenseman quite like him since, and this isn't a guy who had the same offensive upside, but since Nicholas Lidstrom was dominating the league uh, for 18 years with Detroit, he, this guy is that good. He really is. He's going to, he's going to challenge for an MVP vote one day. He might never win one just because that's the way that the voting goes. Um, but he's, he's good enough. He really is. The guy's amazing. And, um, you heard Bobby Clark, the, the, the legendary hall of famer with the Philadelphia Flyers who was in the front office at the time of the 2017 draft when Philly took Nolan Patrick, number two, after the Devils took Nico Heischer at number one overall. He said that Ron Hextall made a decision on his own against the entire wishes of the whole front office of the Philadelphia Flyers and went out and took Patrick when Bobby Clark and the rest of the scouts were hammering the table for Kale McCarr, and he screwed up. Um, Plain and simple. And that's a teammate of Hextall's, right? A Hall of Fame teammate of Hextall's that said, my buddy, my friend, 
made a dumb, selfish decision. And now we're watching this kid turn into one of the best players on planet. He's his contract's already a bargain too. Like, yeah, it's, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a bargain, it was a bargain of a contract. The week after we signed him. It's we, nuts. Yeah, we signed him to that ridiculous nine million a year. Then he had he's worth like twelve million dollars a year. Yeah. yeah, and we have him for the the next full eight years, I believe. If I remember yep. right yep. off the top of my head. Yeah, it's an unbelievable contract. And the scary part is he's still only getting better. He's going to be better than he is now at the end of the season. He's going to be better than he was then at this point next year as well. He's still a, a couple years away from his athletic prime. It's just, it's scary for the rest of the league to think about. It. And it's a, a wonderful thought for us. Yeah, it's it's an embarrassment of riches that Sackick has been able to, uh, to trade for, to cultivate on the team. Again, uh, I firmly believe the team as constituted right now is good enough to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, they've learned their lessons from the last couple of years. They're hungry. They're frustrated. Um, they're now pissed off after the Nashville game, which is something that the league should be terrified of, is that they're not upset. They're not um, disappointed that they didn't get the extra point. They're pissed off that a win got taken away from them. Uh, you think they're hot right now? Wait until they they turn it on for real in the second half of the season. I feel bad for the Coyotes these next two games. Those were the words coming out of my mouth. I feel bad for the Coyotes. It, it could get it could get truly horrific. Uh, take the over and take the over in the first ten minutes yeah. of a hockey game every single time that they play on Friday and Sunday back to back. Yeah, easy. Yeah, easy, easy overs. But Raj, we know you got to run, but we got to thank you so much once again for joining us on the show today. And you are welcome back anytime, my friend. So if you want to take an opportunity to plug anything you've been working on, feel free to go right ahead. Yeah, fellas, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm, I'm glad to join anytime uh, you want to chat abs hockey or NHL hockey. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm here to give you guys a half hour, an hour or two hours, whatever the heck you guys want. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, if you guys are looking for your fix night in, night out, uh, Between the Pipes and Altitude Sports Radio 92.5, Denver's official home for the Avalanche, uh, we're your postgame show. Call in, text in, watch us on twitch.tv and – uh, it's a fun little program that, that me and my, my co-host Mark Springer put on there, but, uh, we'll be live on Friday evening, January 14th, as the ads are hosting the coyotes. We'll be out at Blake street tavern, courtesy of our friends at max and bet. Um, so if you guys want to come hang out with us and, uh, have a beer or two, talk about the game, hop on air live, uh, just, just show up and, um, come to the back of the room and, and we'll talk some abs hockey. But, uh, again, guys, I, I can't appreciate you enough having me on and, um, hopefully the next time we talk, we're talking about some some high playoff seating or a couple of playoff series wins and on the way to the first cup here uh, in two decades. Yep. Here's open, my man. So thank you so much once again for joining us and hopefully we'll see you again soon. See you, fellas. Hey, everybody. Hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. Interrupting to bring you a word from our sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. Hockey fans, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has a no-brainer offer that'll make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's right, just one single goal in the game does not matter the team. All that needs to happen for you to win is just one single goal being scored. That's it. The NHL got rid of ties in 2005. So this is essentially a guaranteed bet. You're going to win this bet. And if DraftKings Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. Because everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest, which is what I do 
essentially every single day. And trust me, this stuff is fun. And you'll want to get it, get want to get in on the action as soon as possible with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Contest. Draft a lineup you can play for as little as a dime every single day. It's all up to you. And best of all, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So what are you waiting for? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit, and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now... Back to the episode. And that was our talk with Raj on Altitude Sports. Just to, like we said before, just my favorite guest to bring on. He knows exactly what he's talking about. And you know you have a good guest when he just makes you feel dumb. Yeah. That's not very hard for me to feel dumb because it's quite often. But, uh, yeah, Raj is the man. Make sure, like we just said, check out Between the Pipes. Uh, Great radio show to listen to when you're driving home from the game but can't thank raj enough for coming on yeah really appreciate him taking the time to join us and we'll quickly wrap up by talking about a game that i even as soon as yesterday totally forgot happened the the game against the seattle crack in the avalanche win at four to three coming back from down three to one they beat philip grubauer who played very very well and the avalanche did not play very very well until about the the third period or so but they do end up coming out of it with a win christian what was your main takeaway from this one um that's the philip grubauer i expected to see all year from seattle um i think that can be a little maddening for seattle fans because he was really good um against the abs and i got to give him credit uh, we both thought that game was going to be a blow and it was everything but a blow the kraken played a very good hockey game um but it, eventually the abs talent just overwhelmed them but it was closer than I expected. I definitely thought the abs are going to win by a lot more, but you got to give major credit to Seattle and Gruby for playing a damn good hockey game. And then they go out there tonight against Seattle and Gruby looks like the Gruby we've been seeing all year. Yeah. They're playing Dallas tonight and down three to one already. And yeah, like you said about Grubauer, that's how I expected him to look coming into the season, but not just him. That's how I expected Seattle to look coming into the season. They were very strong defensively, very aggressive, clogging up the neutral zone. And the thing with Grubauer is that the, the cadre goal that he eventually gave up wasn't very good. He was pretty, gave up a lot of the net on that one, but the other goals that he gave up, they were pretty lucky. I would say the yeah. Devontae's goal that was reviewed for a kicking motion, which it ultimately wasn't and nor should it have been called back, but it's deflected off of Devontae's skate and the net ultimately a very lucky goal to get that game tied up at three. But there was a, there was a point in time in this game where it looked like Seattle was going to come in here and steal it. They scored three in a row. And like I said, up three to one, it took Aube Bell scoring two goals to really get the momentum back in this game. But I, I didn't doubt we were going to win this game, even going into the third. Yeah. I, we both, we had the same feeling that we had had during the uh, Toronto game. Um, the team was good. Pablo Francois, I think, was solid in that. That second goal he gave up was bad. It's a bad That's, goal. That was a really bad goal. 
And then the other two were deflections. I mean, I would have liked to see the Avs clear the clear the net a little bit more, and their PK was not good. Surprise, surprise again in that game. Yeah, uh, the Mojo goal, the Marcus Johansson goal in the first period. You can't leave a guy alone in front of the net. Yeah. I like that's a that's a cardinal sin of not just penalty killing but defense. He is completely alone and deflects a puck in over Pavel France. So that's as easy a goal as you're ever going to score. Yeah, it was it was not good. So. I thought Frankie was okay. I thought he was barely okay. He was solid. Um, and that's what the abs, they just need, like Ross said, they just need solid goaltending. If they can get that, they're going to win pretty much every game because they're going to score. So it, it was a lot closer than I expected. Avs do pull out the dub. We forgot to mention this too, man. Gabe Landeskog tested positive for COVID, um, which sucks. So he's asymptomatic. So I've heard hopefully he can return by Sunday. Am I right there? I can't remember it right off the top top of my head, head, but that sounds about right. He's asymptomatic when he tests negative, he should be back by Sunday, but even then I wouldn't rush him against Arizona. It really shouldn't matter all that much. There's no need. I guess we can talk about those games. Um, I feel bad for the coyotes that they have to face the avalanche after that predators game. Um, This one truly could be a blowout. Yeah, we talked about it with Raj right at the end there. The Avalanche are pissed right now that they had that point stolen from them in Nashville. And the first team that's going to get their wrath is the Arizona Coyotes. And not just for one game, back-to-back nights. This could get bad, especially in Colorado. We said it about Seattle, and we were wrong. I'm a lot more confident in this one to say this one could get pretty ugly. Yeah, think about the Coyotes games they have to play. They got Mont or Toronto tonight, and then you got the Avs for back to back. Like every game is just super tough for the Coyotes. Truly bad. I the Avs should win this these two games by a combined fourteen to two. Like yeah. they should be able to pad their goal differential here a little bit. Yeah, too. it sh- it Did should look a lot games. like games four and five in the bubble, where yeah. we just ran them out of the building. Like. As long as they don't take the games light, I feel like they took Seattle a little lightly. Bit oh, of an emo- emotional letdown after the big uh, Toronto comeback win. They just didn't have a lot of energy. Even even when even in the third, they didn't have a lot of energy. They just found ways to put pucks in the net. So if they come and taking the games lightly, we're still going to win. But it might be like a might be six instead of nine. You know, yeah, Which it could for be. us is low. Yeah, it's going to be. It could be bad. It could. I feel bad for Arizona fans. I really yeah. do. That's just like that's just a general overarching statement. Like yeah. I, I just feel bad for Coyotes fans in general. So, but it should be fun. I, I think Darcy Kemper probably gets the start in Arizona, wouldn't you assume? I just he's assume gonna, he's, yeah, I would think so. That he'll get one of them. That's also an interesting thing to watch too, because in Arizona, Kemper struggled against Minnesota his old team. And this will be the first time he's going up against Arizona. So I'll be interested to see if he has a strong night or not, because that was a, when I talked with the, the sporty with Corey and Richie podcast in the off season, they said he struggled a lot against the wild. So we'll see if there's a mental thing there with going up against old teams or not. But the thing is none of his former teammates are there. (laughs) Yeah. It's not the coyotes. It's just, it's the same franchise, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. I'm interested to see. I don't know. There'll be like 12 people in the arena. So, and they'll all be abs fans. So I don't know what it's going to be like, but I really hope we see Darcy Kemper get a shutout and he can start to confidence. He needs one. So 
Um, I'd love to say I'm excited for those games. I, I'm really, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. It they're, reminds they're, me of last year and I hate it. Yeah. So it, it could be interesting. I hope it's not. I hope the abs just fucking kick the shit out of them, but we'll see. Yeah, I am not excited for those. You know, excited for Avalanche games. I'm not excited to play the Coyotes. We played them eight times last year, and I hated every single one. God, that was so many times. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, but, should be fun games. Avalanche are 5-0-1 in their first six games since coming out of the break. We got jobbed in Nashville, but nothing we can do about it now other than complain about it, I guess. But It's a free four points on Friday and Saturday. Yeah. I mean, also, like, just to finish even on the national game, if you told me we were going to get three of four on that back-to-back, even in the third period, if you told me we were getting a point, I would have been happy. Yeah, I, I think we both said that at the end of the stream. It's just yeah. a shame that game ended that way because it, it, it shouldn't have. Because it, it, it took away from a fun game. It was, yeah. it was a very fun game, and that's the only memory we're going to have of it. I agree. It, it was a great game, and it got ruined by um... – room by a terrible call and if you watched our live stream which i highly suggest you do you got to see griffin and i act like angry five-year-olds so i think think that's the most emotional i've been on like the hockey podcast brand period probably Probably same for me because like in the playoffs after um we lost game four to vegas i was pretty upset on here but like that was against nashville last night that was like an immediate reaction and you, you usually don't get me raising my voice very much on this pod there's a clip of it on the our twitter too of me just freaking out after christian like pulled up the picture of the five predators on the ice yeah. it's actually pretty funny yeah i had a good time with it so it was fun oh dude we just had a guy headbutt another guy in the montreal game that's cool. i saw that yeah it's like it's boston and montreal they hate each other no matter how bad the habs are that was pretty wild i thought we were gonna see another biting incident We'll get there again someday, I'm sure. Someday. 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 But I think for this episode, that's going to do it for us on this edition of the Teledabs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thank you so much once again for tuning in. As always, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me at G Young's NHL. You can follow Christian at Christian underscore Bollet. And if you want to follow the show, it is at Teledabs It Is. We've got a giveaway coming up here in the next couple of days for the Avalanche. And what did you say it was, Canadians Christian? Montreal Canadiens game. So we've got that giveaway coming over the next couple of days. Keep an eye out for that. But that's it for us today. Thank you so much once again for tuning in as always. And we will catch you all next time where we will hopefully have two blowout wins to talk about against the Coyotes. So... Once again, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you then. Have a great week.